Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, Episode 60, Sexual Addiction, Part 3. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. And this is Dr. Donna Bevanley helping you heal your family legacy. Now, the last two sessions, we talked about sex addiction. And so today I'm going to continue talking about sexual addiction. And so if you have children in the room, you might want to take care of that situation right now (laughs) before I start. Um, So let me just review that sex addiction is Obsessive compulsive sexual behavior in the face of harmful consequences. Okay. And these obsessions can take the form of fantasy. We talked about that. Uh, for instance, like, uh, internet pornography or running. You know, some people have, have watched pornographic images on the internet or in books mostly in the internet or TV, um, so often that now they run in their brain. So there's a fantasy aspect to that and, or overt acting out performed alone or with others. Okay. So this could include things like, you know, obsessive compulsive masturbation. Masturbation is a healthy form of sexual expression when it's used for, say, self-care, uh, uh, self-love, or exploring your own sexuality, say, you know, when you're young, or for women, some women have never explored that on their own. So, You know, when I say that it's performed alone or with others, the other piece of this, especially if you're in recovery from sexual addiction, is that your sexuality, when it's used, when you are expressing that as a way to care for your relationship. So when there are two consenting adults 
Or, you know, I know there's all kinds of other things going on out there that are supposedly consenting. But let me just say that so far, as a person who has worked with uh, people who are sexual addicts and, uh, and also as a couples therapist over many, many years, 45 to be exact or about, um, that when your sexuality is an expression of the next level of love or appreciation for another person or yourself, that seems to be the most healthy. Okay, so please, please, if you're in a polyamorous relationship, don't turn it off yet. Um, I know that there are ways that people are expressing this as their sexuality is a way to um, express love. And like I said, that's a whole other topic, which I probably won't get into. <clears throat> so today I wanted to talk about some of the ways that people act out in sexual addiction that is harmful to others. Um, one of the ones I want to discuss, which most people don't recognize, but when I talk about it, you might recognize that, oh yeah, that's happened to me. Uh, one of the ways I want to talk about uh, sexual addiction today is when someone brushes against you in a, touching your sexual parts of your body and they act as if it's a mistake or they just keep going like, and leave you sitting there going, what was that? Um, that's called frotage. And so, for instance, if you are, say, walking on a sidewalk and someone bangs into you, touching your breasts or your penis in a way that, you know, at all, right? It's like, that's frotage. It isn't an accident. Okay, when someone comes up behind you in line and gets too close so that their, you know, their parts of their body that are sexual are now touching you, that's called frottage. And it's not an accident. It's on purpose. And what they're doing is that they're getting some kind of sexual hit off it. All right. So if this has happened to you, understand that you were right. It didn't feel good. Anytime that touching does not feel good, you're probably getting, you're probably the victim of some kind of sexual acting out. Now that might blow your mind a little bit because you think, wow, you know, it's like, if, you know, it's, is this happening all the time? Let me tell you, it is an epidemic in, all over the world now, because uh, I would say, thanks to internet and internet pornography, like people get ideas about ways to act out sexually that they think they can get away with. And so far they have. But when, when we get more and more aware of what is happening to us as human beings, because someone's addiction is out of control, and we can stop that. Okay, like if you, if somebody comes up behind you in line and starts, you know, bumping up against you 
and you turn around and say, knock it off right now, back up, that person might think twice about doing that again. Now understand, this isn't, you know, these behaviors aren't necessarily behaviors that you were born with, okay? We all have sexual desires. We all have sexual interests. That's not the issue. That's part of being a human being. It's how we behave and how we act that, act that out. Okay. So one of the, one of the, uh, sexual addiction issues that I usually get, um, in my office, somebody that has acted out in ways that are harmful to themselves or others is that, and most of the time this is men, okay, occasionally a woman, but most of the time it's men. And that is when they've acted out sexually uh, in a relationship with somebody else, all right? Or they've acted out with a prostitute, and I covered that before. But the they, um, women or men, if it's a gay relationship, uh, the, the impact is like soul-crushing. These are the words that I've heard. Soul crushing. It's like you, you are in a relationship. You've put your hopes and dreams together. You might have children together. You probably have finances together. All these things require a great deal of trust in the other person, in the relationship. You know, you trust them every day. And when you're being sexual with that person, there's a huge level of trust that goes on because you're completely uh, exposed to another person. When you put your trust in them financially and you you put those things together, it's like you are completely exposed. And when when that person acts outside the relationship with another person, it's completely soul crushing. And I really think that word covers it. It is soul crushing. The fracture in the essence of the relationship sometimes can be repaired. Most of the time, it's not reparable. Okay. It takes a lot. And it's on the person that did it. Let me tell you. It isn't about the relationship. And sometimes I hear, well, you know, you weren't available to me. Well, you know, you were too busy all the time with the kids. Well, there's no excuse. There's no excuse to crush somebody's soul. And when those people show up in my office, I listen to the story because there's always a story. Tell me what you think. Tell me what happened, right? And usually the person that is, you know, the offender in the situation, I listen to the story about how she or he wasn't there and how they, he or she didn't, you know, show up for them. And, and I listen to that. And then I tell the spouse, I say, okay, you know, if you, you need to get some healing around this. And, you know, sometimes I'm willing, but most of the time I send them to somebody else because then I turn to the person that has acted out and I say, you 
will be working with me on your sexual addiction. This is, you know, this is part of a sexual addiction. It is one of the the most painful experiences that your spouse will ever have. And it's on you, I pointed them, (laughs) it is on you if you want this marriage or you want this relationship to continue. It's all on you, on your behavior, what you did. And sometimes that surprises people because they think, oh, we're going to go in here and you're going to become more available or you're going to do these things that I've seen on the internet or you're going to, you know, be like that person I had that relationship with or you're going to forgive me because I, I wasn't getting my needs met. And what I say to that is BS. Okay. I say, you are responsible for this and you are responsible for fixing it. And then we work on, okay, how do you get in recovery for your sexual addiction? The same way you get in recovery for almost anything else, like gambling, okay? Like, uh, you know, even drugs and alcohol. It's like we all take medications, but those drugs that you're taking that are impacting you and you're doing it in spite of harmful consequences, you must stop. And so I tell a person that's sitting there, you must stop this behavior. Oh, well, you know, I need to tell her, I need to tell her. No, you don't. That person is also responsible for what has happened here. Unless you were able to convince them that you weren't married or already in a relationship, they probably knew. And they did it anyway. So they've got a problem too. Not my problem today, but they have a problem too. Now, sexual addiction has its roots in shame. Unlike other addictions, which don't necessarily have their roots in shame, but they're part of, you know, the shame that the person feels instead of, you know, their, their, uh, relationship to themselves it's about sexual shame and and the feeling of i you know i am such a bad person and the only way that i can feel better is by acting out in this way okay and once you stop let me tell you the the withdrawal from sexual addiction is can be a nightmare for the person who is a sex addict because what they've done to their brain is that every time they feel pain, sad, whatever, it's like it's all they have to do because there's their addiction sitting right there in their lap, literally. <laughs> they don't have to go out and find a dealer. They don't have to go out and find, you know, some way. They don't have to... It's it's sitting in their lap and it's in their brain. And so this not, not behaving in this way, like not even masturbating, no masturbation during during uh withdrawal. And and they what they have to do in their brain if they really want to have this change is that every time a thought comes up around their sexual behavior. They have to think about something else. 
They can't linger there. And they need people to confront them when they're doing the behavior or they have to have somebody who is willing to talk to them when those issues or those images or those memories start coming up because they really have to rewire their brain. It doesn't do it on its own. Okay, so when someone who has a sexual addiction is trying to be in recovery, the first, say, 30 days is a nightmare. Sometimes they can't sleep. There's a real chance of suicidal behavior. I think I've mentioned before, until sexual addiction, until the Internet happened to people's sexuality, I really hadn't had anybody kill themselves. And I'd been in practice for like 20 years. I'd had people say, oh, you know, I wish I could die or the world would be better off of that. But, but they didn't do it. They were able to work through it and wait. And, you know, and that's all has to do with their brains. It's like they could say to their brains, well, you know, this might be a, a long-term solution for a temporary problem. And they could manage it. But with sex addiction and especially the impact you know, when, when people who have acted out outside of marriage or outside of a primary relationship, when they see the impact on their partner and they start to understand the, the consequences, and sometimes the consequences might be they get arrested. So now it's in the paper and they're exposed. It's horrible. I got to tell you. I have, I have seen people just, you know, man, I think I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again just to let you know how, how really traumatic this is for people is that I had a man who, uh, was, had been in treatment for sexual addiction and was being referred to me for their ongoing treatment. Didn't even make it. I, he called and set up an appointment and we had an appointment for the next day. And then his wife called and said he won't be in. He killed himself overnight. It's that bad. You've been in treatment. You're out of treatment. Now you have to come back and face the consequences. The consequences don't go away. In treatment, you feel better. You learn about, you know, what happened and and how this, you know, shame is, is based, you know, it's like you're acting out is based in this sense of shame and, and, you know, not being worthy and all of these things. But then you come out and you have to deal with the consequences. And those consequences are sharp. And oftentimes there's very little, there's very little, uh, empathy. Like say you've acted out with a child or acted out with somebody underage, you know, a teenager. Or let's say you have ex, you know, committed exhibitionism where you've walked up to somebody and flashed and, oh, they call the police and you end up in jail. Oh, in our society, even though we're hypersexual as a society, 
You know, we think about everything. We're, it's like you turn on the TV, there are ads about sexuality and how you're going to be the most, you know, attractive man or attractive woman if you just do that. And, and it's all about sex. I mean, we're hypersexual in our society. But we don't have much empathy for people who act out and cause harm to others. And most of the time it does cause harm to others. Like I mentioned a few sessions ago, even with pornography, it's like I've heard so many people say, well, there's no victim there. Oh, yes, there is. The woman or the man or the child or the teenager who is in, who are in those uh, pictures, they're victims. So this isn't a victimless issue. There are a lot of victims. And when you, you know, when you get in recovery for a sexual addiction, it's really awful for the first 30 days. Sometimes it takes longer for your brain to calm down. Because your brain is all over the, you know, it's, it's lit up like a Christmas tree. And then you take it away and it's going, wait, wait, where is that? Where is that high? Where are all those wonderful, you know, dopamines? Where are all those wonderful chemicals that get released when you're sexually aroused? We all know what that's like. And imagine having that and then needing to take it up to the next level and the next level and the next level. Because guess what? At some point, those images that you're looking at, they're not going to do it for you anymore. You get to take it to the next level. And those images, they don't take it. And and even if you're acting out with other people and you're not even using internet pornography, you unless it's based in a relationship of some kind that is loving and caring, you're trying to take it to the next level and your brain, all those chemicals are just flying around. And that's all you think about. Harmful consequences to your brain. Now, what I have discovered, because I've spent a lot of time working with men, mostly, who are sex addicts, is that they describe this feeling in their, they, you know, I had one guy say to me, I can feel my brain rewiring. I feel it in my brain. And I know that is true. It, it's a real, you, when you decide to be in recovery for sex addiction, it is a commitment to yourself that is beyond anything you know. And when sometime I'm going to have one of these men come on my show and he's going to talk about that. What happened to him as a child? Because it's always based in childhood trauma. Every addiction is based in childhood trauma. I've got to, you know, basically it goes something like this. I am scared out of my mind. I'm a little child. I am scared out of my mind. I feel like I am a piece of crap that nobody cares that I'm worthless. And this feeling is so overwhelming. And if I can find something to make me feel better, to take me out of this horrible feeling I'm having, to distract me, I do it. Because I'm a child, because I'm a teenager, heck, because I'm a, I'm a man or a woman. There are better ways to deal with really intolerable reality. 
And boy, do we have some of those intolerable realities right now. We're in a pandemic. We're in a war. We're not personally in a war, but Ukraine's in a war. And we are trying to support them, but we're also afraid. Yeah, if you're not afraid right now, you're not paying attention. Um, And we've got, you know, financial issues going on. We've got, I mean, we've got some serious issues. And so we don't need to walk around going, oh, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. We could say, oh, wow, these are really scary times. And I feel fear. Okay, so what are you going to do about that? Well, let's see. Going back to Recovery 101, I'm going to practice self-care. I am going to limit the amount of time I spend watching the news because I do need to know what's going on. But once they start repeating, now I'm done. Or I can read a newspaper article. Or I can look at the news online. It's like we have to know what's going on. But we don't need to sit there and keep redoing that over and over again. Because when we do, that fear level just increases, increases, increases. And our brain says, I got to have a break. I need something to make myself feel better. Okay, and what I'm telling you is that, well, when you just limit that, you're starting to do really good self-care, number one. Number two, you eat right, and you eat. (laughs) You don't just eat right, you eat. Because some people stop eating, all right? You get exercise, and if you remember, I say, well, okay, When you exercise, you put that exercise in the same category as brushing your teeth. You don't get up and say, oh, geez, do I want to exercise today? I mean, I know I'm a human being. I put it in the same category as, oh, brushing my teeth. And I would tell you right now that I'm not a morning person. (laughs) And so I have to, you know, when I get up in the morning, the last thing I want to do is exercise. And I've heard my brain tell me before, oh, do you really want to exercise today? And I say, well, I'm going to brush my teeth. And so, yes, I'm going to exercise today. I'm going to exercise. And let me think, okay, the last time I did weight-bearing exercise was, oh, say, two days ago. So I better do it again today. And I better add some cardio to that. So I'll go and walk or I'll do, you know, whatever cardio I've got. But I put it in the same category. And I always have. This isn't new. Okay, yes, I'm partially retired, mostly retired. But, you know, so I have a little more time. So I just do it a little later. But when I was still working, and I worked a lot of hours, I put it in the same category as brushing my teeth. I walk to work every day. Even when it's raining. And when I was in Seattle, it was raining all the time in the winter. And it was dark. I still got up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Got ready for work. And I walked. And when I came home, I would do some weights. Not a lot, but I did some to keep my body strong. But, you know, it's like, that's what I could do. And that's what I did. 
I did different things over time. You know, I got, got into yoga. I got into hot yoga. I got into CrossFit. I, you know, I ran. I was a runner. I did all kinds of things over the, over the years to make sure that my body was well. And I got enough sleep. Sleep is another piece of that. And having people in your life that care about you. So I'm going to talk more extensively about recovery from sex addiction in our next show. So I hope you'll be back. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2022, Dr. Donna Bevanley, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.